Over the last few weeks, we've been going through a series called Made for This Moment in which we've been taking a look at how God is calling us as a church to step into this moment with his power, with his benefits, with his blessings, and to be a blessing for other people. And I just want to take this moment just to say, as we are approaching Thanksgiving this Thursday, this very strange holiday season, I just want to say how thankful I am to be here with you as a congregation, as your pastor, how thankful I am that my family and I are here with you, me and Morgan, Elle, and, and Bo. We are so glad to be a part of this community, and, and more than just glad, we are thankful that you are our friends, that you are our mentors, that you are our prayer partners and our, our journeyers along the path of the way of Jesus Christ. But we thank you most of all that you're just our friends, and we, we love you for that. We thank you for that. And today, especially on Dedication Sunday, I think it's important to, to make that connection between Thanksgiving and the things that we give, the gifts that we have, and the, the resources that God has given us for his purposes. This morning, we're going to be reading a passage from the Old Testament, from the book of Genesis, about a man named Joseph. And Joseph's story is one of great hardship that ends up leading to great wisdom and great blessing. But one of the things I want to put before you before I read this story is, is first of all, to say it's a long story, but isn't it true that very often when we are experiencing certain hardships, certain crises, we don't necessarily see how those things are going to benefit us in the future. Sometimes it's hard to know how God might use this moment for any possible good. Well, that was the situation of Joseph when he, as I will share later, when he was going through some terrible, unbelievable things that hopefully none of us will ever have to endure. But if you will, look at Genesis chapter 50, beginning in the 15th verse and continuing through the 21st verse. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Friday night, just like many of you, I got one of those loud, grating 
Amber Alert style COVID alerts on my phone. It was one of those reminders from the mayor's office that even though Thanksgiving is coming, there is a rise in cases and we all need to be extra careful. And it was a reminder to me and all of us as a city, as a county, that we are still in a mess. But it's a reminder too that this world and this city and the church needs us now, needs you now, more than ever. San Antonio and First Presbyterian Church need you now more than ever. But you know what? The good news is that God has made us for this moment. As faithful Mordecai said to young Esther, who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. God has made us by his grace, he has made us by his faith, and he's made us by his love. And as the Apostle Paul wrote, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has been shaping us for this moment. And now is the moment. Now is the time and today is the day. In his best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life, Pastor Rick Warren explains that God has shaped us and given each one of us a unique shape for his mission. Now the word shape is actually an acronym. And it stands for this. It stands for spiritual gifts, heartfelt passions, abilities, personalities, and experiences. And what Warren is saying is that God has equipped us for this moment with customized spiritual gifts, customized heartfelt passions and abilities and personalities and experiences. Now, last week we talked about our personality, the P of our shape our personality that God gave to each one of us for the building up of the body of Christ. But this week, we're going to talk about our experiences, the E, the final letter of this shaping. And there are two things that we need to understand about our experiences. The first is obvious, that we have a variety of experiences, whether it's family experiences or educational experiences or job or vocational experiences or spiritual experiences or ministry experiences or relational experiences or painful experiences or joyful experiences. What we need to understand is that God has given us these experiences, this wide variety for his purposes. Now, now no matter how closely we may live to each other, whether we go to the same school or we're in the same church or in the same community, even if we're in the same family, no matter how many experiences we may share, we each have our own unique set of experiences. And even though our experiences may rhyme with one another, they're not the same. And so the first and obvious point is that we have a variety of experiences. And the second point is this, that our experiences are gifts of God. Our experiences are events that God uses to shape us for those good works that God prepared beforehand for us to do. And yes, I believe that that means our good experiences 
and even our bad experiences. I want you to think about your life for a moment. I want you to be reflective, and I want you to think about all the experiences, or just a few, a handful of the experiences you've had in your life. Maybe they had nothing to do with church. Maybe they had nothing to do with what you thought would be spiritual matters. Maybe you were the leader of an organization. Maybe you had an interesting experience in a job. Maybe at some point you were struggling with an addiction or you were incarcerated. Maybe at some point you learned a skill or just a, just a, a phrase or you just met somebody and had a great conversation and, and you never realized that that was God preparing you for some work in the future. Our experiences are one of the ways that God shapes us for this moment, the way that God shapes us for his ministry. And as I said, those experiences can be good experiences or they can be bad experiences. The point is that they are gifts from God to shape us for his ministry, for the works that God prepared beforehand for us to do. So let's take the example from Scripture today. The passage that we read today comes at the end of Joseph's story. So if you're not familiar with Joseph's story, I'm going to do my best to recap what is actually a pretty long story in the Bible. The passage that we read today comes at the end of Joseph's story. Joseph was a wise, a mature leader when we are reading the passage we read today. But he didn't begin his life that way. He started off as a very blessed, but a very cocky, a very arrogant, a very spoiled young man. I'm not saying that he was malicious, but as a young man, Joseph was full of himself. He was the favorite son of his father Jacob, and he knew it. He was blessed by God, and he knew it. But he was also young and naive, and he was so young and naive that he made the dreadful mistake of going to his older brothers, his 10 older brothers, and telling them that one day he would rule over them. He went up to him and he said, hey guys, guess what? One day I'm going to be the boss of all of you. Isn't that great? How do you think the older brothers responded to that? For some reason, he thought that they would be pleased to hear this news, but instead, they acted like most older brothers would if their little brother told them that one day he was going to be king over them. And so they did what any brothers would do. They punished him. They beat him up, they threw him in a pit, and they sold him as a slave to the first caravan of Midianites that passed by. And then they, they took his clothes, ripped them to shreds, and covered them in animal's blood, and told their father Jacob that his favorite son, Joseph, was mauled by a wild animal, killed, and eaten. Okay, so maybe that's not what all brothers would do, but that is what Joseph's brothers did. He was taken to Egypt, and he was sold to an, an Egyptian official named Potiphar. And there he served his master well, and he was rewarded until his mistress tried to seduce him. And when Joseph rejected her, she accused him of inappropriate advances. And although Joseph was guilty of nothing, he was thrown into prison. He was humiliated. But while he was in prison, he distinguished himself as a model prisoner. He got the attention of both prisoners and prison officials alike. There were even several politicians, several political prisoners in the, in the uh, uh, former officials of Pharaoh 
who had fallen out of favor. And they would come to Joseph with their problems. They would come to him with their troubling dreams. They would come to him with all manner of advice. And they would ask him if he, they knew if he understood what God was trying to tell them. Because they discovered that God had given Joseph the gift of interpretation and prophecy. They soon figured out that his wisdom far exceeded his years. And so they would come to him to interpret their dreams and ask for advice. And he gained a reputation as a wise and a virtuous person, even in prison. And then one day he got a break. The God emperor of Egypt, the Pharaoh, began to have troubling dreams himself. And one of his advisors, a man who met Joseph in prison, suggested that Pharaoh call Joseph to interpret his dreams. And Joseph came to him and gave him wise and godly counsel from the Lord. It turns out that Pharaoh's dreams were a message from God about a seven-year famine that would devastate Egypt and the entire world. And the word of the Lord to Pharaoh was that he must prepare and store up food and provisions for seven years. Seven incredibly abundant years of harvest would be enough to prepare for seven devastating years of hunger and drought. And when Pharaoh heard Joseph's interpretation of his dream, he immediately recognized the divine power and inspiration working through this young man. And so he not only released Joseph from prison, he elevated Joseph to the number two position in Egypt. Joseph became the chief executive officer of the entire empire, the prime minister, second only to Pharaoh himself. And Joseph led the provisioning and the preparation phase of the plan for seven years. And God blessed Egypt so much that they were able to store not only enough food to feed themselves, but to eventually supply every surrounding region with grain and food to get them through this entire famine. So through his experiences, God had prepared Joseph and Egypt not only to survive the crisis, but to, to sustain others during this crisis. God not only shaped Joseph to save his own people, but people from all over the world. Because the Bible says that people came from every point on the compass because they heard that there was food in Egypt, food that Joseph had gathered and prepared and managed. And the famine did eventually come to Joseph's homeland, to Canaan, to every country except the Egyptians, because God had warned them and Joseph had wisely prepared. They were prepared to endure it themselves and help others. And when it came to his homeland, you can imagine what happened. Beginning in Genesis chapter 42, the Bible recounts the dramatic story of the 10 brothers, the very brothers who had so abused Joseph coming to him to buy food from Egypt. That's right. They came to Egypt and they were taken to the little brother that they had beaten and sold into slavery. They'd faked his death. Because of them, Joseph had lived for years the dehumanizing life of a slave and then of a prisoner. And for years, he'd been powerless and abused, threatened and forgotten because of them. But they didn't even recognize him when they saw him, even though he held their lives in his hand. 
He had the power to feed them, to torture them, to arrest them or to let them go, to supply them or deny them, to put them in prison forever or send them on their way. He could take their lives immediately or spare them. He could send armies to wipe their little tribe off the face of the earth and out of the memory of man. Or he could fill, fill their every need for survival. And now here was Joseph with the life and death of his brothers at his disposal. God had set before him his greatest trial. Having survived betrayal, slavery, humiliation, and imprisonment, would he now be suffocated in the vengeance his power allowed him? Would he give in to hate? Or would he forgive his brothers in love? You know, we read these stories through hindsight and we think, oh, well, it was obviously an easy decision for, for Joseph. But the Bible says that he stewed on this decision for three days. He put his, bro he put his brothers in jail for three days just so he could think about what to do. For three days, while his brothers were in prison, Joseph was tested, stretched between mercy and revenge, driven to distraction, thinking about what to do to them. He could have chosen blood, or he could have chosen mercy. And Joseph chose mercy. And we know that it wasn't easy for him. And when his brothers came before him, that too wasn't easy for Joseph. But in the end, he showed mercy. Now please forgive me because I'm compressing so much of this story. But many years later, those ten brothers feared that Joseph, uh, that Joseph would take his revenge. They were afraid that once their father had died, Joseph would finally unleash his fury. And so they went to Joseph pleading. They went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Isn't it fascinating that that dream of so many years that I will rule over you was fulfilled in that moment? We are your servants. But then Joseph said to them, I'm not going to take revenge on you. And then he told his brothers why. He said, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Thousands of years ahead of time. It is as though Joseph is claiming the words of Mordecai, who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Or nearly 2,000 years before Paul was even born, we hear these words rhyming with the words of Paul. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Joseph is claiming that in his providence, God has used his slavery, he's used his imprisonment, he's used his estrangement from his family to make him for this moment. As for me, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And the point is this. He's claiming that God was involved in every detail, every experience of his life 
to shape him, to shape Joseph as a godly man in order that he might save many people. He's saying each of those experiences, as bad as they were, each one of them was a gift of God. And I want you to notice that Joseph did two things. First, he gave God the credit. He said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. It was clearly God's prompting that made Joseph take the way of mercy rather than the way of revenge. But then, Joseph took those experiences and he used them to do the thing that God wanted him to do. He used every opportunity to draw attention, not to himself, but to God, to show people that it was not his wisdom, but rather God's wisdom, God's gift of prophecy that was being revealed in every one of those crisis moments. He used his blessings and his hardships to draw attention to God. And then he used those experiences to learn the wisdom to lead. While Joseph was in prison, he wasn't just lying around, he was learning. Joseph's fellow prisoners were political prisoners, but they were still able men. And I imagine that Joseph did not spend his days with them just sitting around talking about the weather or whining about their state. I imagine that he spent all the time he could learning from them about government, about politics, about protocol, about administration, about diplomacy and economics and statecraft. And he had learned from them what you have to do to make Pharaoh happy and what you shouldn't do to make him upset. And so when Pharaoh appointed him number two over all of Egypt, Joseph was ready because he had studied in the university of experience. Now, many people would look at Joseph's life and wonder why he was not more bitter. But Joseph did not become more bitter, did not become bitter, because he trusted that God was using these experiences to make him better. Because God never wastes an experience. As a matter of fact, as Rick Warren says, God never wastes a hurt. In fact, our greatest hurts are probably the foundation of our greatest ministry. Who could better minister to the parents of children with special needs than another couple who has a child afflicted in the same way? Who better to relate to the need of foster children than those who have been fostered themselves? Who better to talk to an alcoholic and help him or to help her recover than someone who has fought that demon and found freedom. Beloved, there are so many times when I've been on a pastoral call visiting somebody struggling with cancer or some other disease, and I know the words to say, and I know the prayers to pray, and people know that I love them, but they also know that I've never battled cancer personally. But then when somebody who has battled cancer, who has survived cancer, walks into the room, everything changes. There's an immediate connection because the person who is suffering knows that this person who has just entered understands them. They get me. They get what I'm going through. I believe that God intentionally allows us to go through painful experiences 
to help us, to prepare us for our ministry to others. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, God comforts us all in our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, God allows us to be uncomfortable so that we, in his grace, in his power, in his love, can comfort others. In other words, your mess becomes your message. It becomes your mission. Your ordeal becomes your ordination. Your crisis becomes your credential. All of these things come together to prepare you to comfort people in the future. God has given you experiences that position you not only for his mission, but to connect you with his people. Cancer patients, drug addicts, former inmates, veterans, parents, vocational mentors. Whatever your experience may be, positive or negative, God can use that to connect you to his people. It's like we said last week about personality. There are so many different personalities in here because there's so many different people so many different types of people out there. Now, as we take this, or as we bring this home today, I want to I put something to you, put this idea to you again, that stewardship means using God's gifts for God's purposes. An experience is a gift of God. For God to use our experiences, we have to be, allowed, we have to be willing to share them. We can't hoard them. We can't cover them up. We need to use them. We need to learn from them. We need to honestly admit our faults and failures and fears and claim those moments when we learned wisdom the hard way. Because I believe that people are always more encouraged when we share God's grace, how God's grace helped us in our weakness than we are when we brag about our strengths. And just a little over a week ago, in this sanctuary, we held a memorial service, a belated memorial service for Will Carter. I mentioned him last week when we were talking about different personalities, the fact that Will, Will was a, a father, a rancher, a businessman, a husband, a prankster, and a cowboy poet, fiercely loyal with an intense work ethic. But one of the things that really became so important to me in that service was when Mitchell, our associate pastor, Mitchell Moore, was talking about the road that these two walked together. Mitchell was struggling with cancer at the same time that Will was diagnosed, and they walked that journey together, and they supported one another throughout. And one of the things that Will said to Mitchell was that he wanted to use his sickness to tell as many people about Christ as he could. He wanted to use his sickness as a platform to share Jesus Christ with other people. To say, I know that I'm suffering. I know how bad this is. I know how bad this looks, but I don't want to waste my cancer. And even this week, I have heard so many testimonies, direct testimonies, of how Will's words or his example inspired them 
to share Christ with brothers, with sisters, with friends, with children, with coworkers. Here's the question. Like Will or like Joseph, do our experiences shape us or do they break us? The Ghanaian people have a saying. They say, stop asking, why is God letting this happen to me? Why is God doing this to me? And start asking, what is God trying to teach me through this? What is God trying to teach me through this? If our experiences are God's gift, what are we learning from them? And how are we learning, how are we using them for God's purposes? Not all experiences are bad. God takes our enjoyable experiences, our edifying experiences, and uses those for his purposes too. But what has God been teaching you through your experiences? God has made us for this moment. But I also want to say that I believe that God is making us in this moment. Over the last nine months, we have racked up quite a few experiences ourselves during this season, haven't we? And I believe that right now, God is using this crazy experience of 2020 to prepare us for his mission in the future. That's why we need to ask right now, will this experience paralyze or empower us? Will it set us free or weigh us down? Will it embolden us or embarrass us? Will this experience make us bitter or better? What have we learned during this crisis? You know, it's amazing to me that God took the worst event in history and made it the best. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was the worst, most unjust, most horrific event in human history. And yet God took that event and turned it for our redemption and showed in that event, in that experience, that he has the power to take care of us, to overcome everything, to take care of us even in death. Aldous Huxley said, experience is not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens to you. Joseph was betrayed, enslaved, humiliated, and imprisoned. But he was also educated, blessed, wealthy, powerful, and spiritually gifted. God used all of those experiences to make him for the moment when many people should be kept alive. What are you doing with the experiences that God has given you. you pray with me? Our Lord and our God, this morning we come to you because we know that we have been through both difficulty and blessing. Even over the last nine months, eight months, we have experienced things that that are shaping us for even greater work, greater good, and even more glory for you. 
But Lord, how are we going to use these experiences? How are we going to give them to you? How are we going to turn them over? How are we going to say that even what the world meant is evil for us, that you have meant for good, that you have turned for your purposes, that many people might be saved? Oh Lord, today, help us to take our experience to reflect on it and ask ourselves how you intend to use it for our good and your glory. We pray these things in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.